Scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, uh, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount um, with these statements that we've been looking at over the past seven weeks, these statements or beatitudes, they're called. And he he begins with these statements that are really meant to create for us sort of a comprehensive picture of um, a citizen of God's kingdom. That's, as we put them all together, they're meant to go all together Together, they, they paint a portrait for us of someone who is a, a, a citizen of God's kingdom. Another way of saying that is really what Jesus is giving us through these statements is the characteristics of a Christian. That's the way we need to look at them. Um, so in order to sort of remind ourselves about what Jesus has said, let me invite you to read again with me, or I'll, I'll read them. You can listen and follow along on the screen. Matthew 5, uh, verses 2 to 9. It says that Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now we've looked at each of these beatitudes or these blessed statements um, over the past seven weeks. And then this morning we come to the verse that Stephen just read for us in verse 10. Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It seems like Jesus is just throwing sand in the gears, doesn't it? I mean, if you're anything like me, when you you come to verse 10, if you're anything like me, I think we'd prefer that Jesus had not said this, right? Right? But, but not, only, not only did Jesus say this, he doubled down. He emphasized it. Look at verses uh, 11 and 12, the two following verses. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we'll look at those verses next week. But I think we can all agree this morning that these statements from Jesus' lips are very unsettling, aren't they? Not only because Jesus tells us that if we're going to follow him... Uh, we're going to be persecuted, that being persecuted is, is a characteristic of being a Christian, not only because of that, 
but because of Jesus says how we should respond to persecution. I mean, rejoice and be glad. Are you serious, Lord? This is shocking. Well, I'm not the first person to be shocked by this. Others have been. In the 19th century, there was a German pastor and theologian by the name of Helmut Tillich. Very interesting name. And here's what he said about these very verses I've just read to you. He says, What a ghastly prospect. It makes one ask in all seriousness how Jesus could ever have gained disciples with an appeal like that. And then does it not sound like sheer mockery for him to go on and say, in the face of the tortures of body and soul to which the disciples were actually exposed? Does it not seem like sheer mockery to say rejoice and be glad? Telix says, surely that can't be the case. Then he says, there must be some great mystery here which we do not see. So this week and next week, we're going to consider what Jesus says about persecution in the life of a Christian in order to try and discern some of this mystery that Telic is getting at. I have three points this morning. The reality of persecution, the reason for persecution, and the reward of persecution. Those are my three points. Let's jump in and look at the reality of persecution. Go back to Matthew 5, verse 10. Let's read it again. You've got you to hear this. This has to hit us. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, by including this in these, these opening beatitudes, these opening blessed statements of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying to us that being persecuted is a characteristic of being one of his followers, of being a Christian. This isn't an optional extra. I'll take the blessedness, Lord, but hold the persecution. That's, that's not an option. He's saying that this is a characteristic of what it means to follow him. Again, as Christians, let me just make this clear. We shouldn't seek persecution. That would be weird. We should not seek persecution. But Jesus wants us to know that if we are going to follow him, it is inevitable. It is inevitable if we are committed to following him faithfully. And I, I hope that we are. See, all of us who desire to put Christ first in every area of their lives will face opposition, will face persecution in one form or another, sooner or later, we can count on it. The Apostle Paul said essentially the same thing. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, he writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not an option. It's inevitable. Now, 
I don't know about you, but in light of what Jesus has said, when what we've considered over the past seven weeks, this seems a little, um, a little strange. You know, Jesus has said, describing the characteristics of a Christian, he said that they're merciful in verse 7. He said that they're pure in heart in verse 8. He said in verse 9 that Christians are peacemakers. So isn't it a little bit surprising to us when he tells us here in verse 10 that you're going to be persecuted? I mean, that just strike you as odd? See, at first glance, it doesn't seem to fit, right? I mean, think about it. Men and women who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers. Wouldn't we expect people like that to be welcomed with open arms, to be encouraged, to be complimented, to be... I mean, they just... You'd think everybody would be their friend. I mean, after all, these seem to be the very people that the world needs most of all, right? Now, here's the thing, and and I think Some of the reason why this persecution idea seems a little strange to us is because I think to many people, and perhaps even to some of us, um, many people assume that being a Christian is roughly the equivalent of being nice, being kind, being gracious, right? See, too often... I think we see Christians or others see Christians as fairly harmless people who say their prayers before a meal and go to church on Sunday and tap them on the head. And isn't that nice for you? I mean, I think that's the way that's the way I uh, imagined Christians as I was growing up. They were these little goody two shoe types and we'd pick on them at school and that kind of thing. Call them names. Didn't grow up a Christian. Um, And so one has to ask, if if that's the way that we we think of Christians, or if that's the way many people look, why would they ever be persecuted? You know, I think they'd just be ignored, right? Well, I think we'll see that what it means to be a Christian, what it means to really follow Jesus Christ, is closely related to the reasons why Christians face hostility why they face opposition. So the question that we're really seeking to answer is why why is persecution inevitable for Christians? That's my second point, the reason for persecution. Now here, we need to be a little bit discerning. See, sometimes, sometimes Christians face persecution because they're foolish. Sometimes Christians bring opposition upon themselves because they're overly zealous. They're a bit fanatical. Sometimes they're just plain offensive. Rather than contending for the faith, they are being contentious for the faith. Sometimes Christians face hostility and ridicule because they're identifying too closely with a, perhaps a, a political party or a political leader. Perhaps they get all jacked up about some social cause that everybody else has to support. Or maybe they align themselves too closely with a particular school of thought. 
I could go on. But let me just say that Jesus is not talking about persecution brought on uh, for any of these reasons. Jesus is not talking about the persecution that we bring on ourselves because we're stupid. He's not addressing that. He says very clearly in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted, why? For righteousness' sake, because of righteousness. Now, to put it as succinctly as I am able, Christians are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Why? Because righteousness is the way that Christians express their love for and loyalty to King Jesus. Does that make sense? This is the way we follow him. That's why Jesus said in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If, If Christ has come into your life, if you trust him, love him, follow him, it it necessarily commits you to becoming more like him, to pursuing, to hungering and thirsting for righteousness, which is obedience to him, which is conformity to him, which is likeness to him. It's necessary for a Christian to hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's the way that we express our love for and our commitment to King Jesus. There's no such thing as a Christian who could say, well, I, I love Jesus, but I'm not really interested in faithfully following him. That person is self-deceived. Jesus cannot be your savior apart from being your Lord. Some people have said that. They are deceived. The Bible doesn't teach that. Jesus is Savior and Lord. That's the only Jesus who saves us, is the one who is Lord over our lives, the one that we bring our entire lives under his lordship and submit ourselves entirely to him. More and more, to be sure, none of us do this perfectly. None of us ever will do this perfectly. We are becoming more like him. It's a big project. It'll take a long time. It's very painful. But he's at work doing it. There's a New Testament scholar, Jonathan Pennington. I think we've mentioned him a number of times already in this series. He puts this point a little bit differently when he writes, Righteousness in Matthew is whole person behavior that accords with God's nature, will, and coming kingdom. The righteous person is the one who follows Jesus in this way of being in the world. Now, here's the problem. When we follow Jesus in in this way of being in the world, when we follow Jesus, and this is our expression of love for him and um, loyalty to him, guess what happens? There's friction, right? 
This loyalty to Jesus that gets lived out in our lives through the expression of righteousness and the hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it creates friction in the hearts of those who are not submitting their lives to King Jesus. As a result, we face opposition. We face persecution. But why? Why does the faithfulness of Christian people provoke such a negative response? Again, sometimes we provoke a negative response because we're, we're just foolish. We're obnoxious. God forbid. We want to be humble, faithful people. But, but why is this righteousness such an offense? Well, I want to look at two passages uh, in the New Testament that I think help to shed some light that help us answer this question. First of all, I want to look at John 15, verses 18 to 20. Here, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. See, Matthew 5.10 is not the first time Jesus talks about this. This is all over the Bible. See, Jesus is telling his disciples, and by implication he's telling us, that we will be hated, we will be persecuted, Why? Because we're not of the world. See, to follow Jesus faithfully in line with God's nature, will, and kingdom, to follow him righteously, if you will, that immediately puts us out of step or out of sync with the way of the world. Christian living is... Um, by implication, an indictment against a fallen world that is living in open rebellion against the King of Kings, the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. And rather than responding in repentance and faith, the world often responds with hostility. So that's John 15. But let's go a little, a little further. Let's look at Luke 16. In verse 13, Jesus says this. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then comes the persecution in verse 14. This is what we read. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard these things and they ridiculed him. So why did the Pharisees ridicule Jesus? Well, verse 14 tells us they were lovers of money. In other words, the things that Jesus was saying indicted them. 
It shone the light of God's truth on their greed. It indicted them. It brought their guilt and their sin to the surface. Look at verse 15. It fills out the picture even more for us. Jesus says, and he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So if we bring together verses 14 and 15, I think we can begin to uncover some of the root causes of persecution. First of all, people love or exalt something in their hearts more than God. That's one of the biggest, that's, that's a necessary problem that we're encountering is that people in the world, and often sometimes too much ourselves, but we're exalting in and we're loving something in our hearts more than God. And in this case, it's money. But it could be anything. Could be freedom, could be success, could be fame, could be power, could be possessions, the approval of others. You name it, we love to exalt things and love things more than we love God. It's called idolatry. The second thing that Jesus points out here is that we love to justify ourselves. That's wired into all of us. We love to justify ourselves. So Jesus comes on the scene with a way of life and a message that implies that the love of money is treason against God. He says, in effect, you cannot serve both. Now, this is not meant to be some sort of antagonistic insult. He's not trying to pick a fight. Jesus is trying to shed the light of truth onto the greed and sin of the Pharisees. But instead of repenting, which would be the right response, Jesus is ridiculed for telling the truth. Now that ridicule ultimately in, in Luke's gospel accelerates to the point that he is crucified. See, the world persecutes Christians because it loves other things more than God and is determined to justify itself in loving other things. People love to shift the guilt and, and the blame off of themselves by condemning others. And that's the dynamic, this misplaced love and this self-justification. That's the dynamic uh, that is really the root of persecution. And so from these biblical texts, I think we can see that a life devoted to faithfully following Jesus, a life devoted to righteousness, will necessarily face opposition. So, for example, let's bring it home a little bit. If, if you cherish sexual purity in your life, your life will be seen as an indictment against those who practice and promote sexual immorality. If you value life, you will convict those who promote abortion and assisted suicide. 
If you speak the truth, you will be despised by those who spread lies. If you walk in humility, your life will be seen as an attack upon the evil of pride. If you live simply and joyfully, your life will stand as a testimony to the folly of opulence and excess. If you're not willing to cut corners at work, your integrity at work will be a threat to those who are cutting corners. If you're not willing to step on others to climb the corporate ladder, guess what? You will expose by your behavior those who will do anything to get ahead. If you submit to God-ordained authorities, you will highlight the rebellion of those who do not. I could go on and on and on. But you see how just being faithful to Jesus creates a problem, that creates friction. Now, at this point, I suspect that maybe some of you are saying, uh, but what if I'm not experiencing opposition? What if I'm not experiencing any persecution in my life? What does that say about me? And that's a good question. Well, it might mean this. It might mean that you are living a kind of incognito Christianity. You can coin that phrase if you want. It might mean that you're hiding your light under a bushel. Perhaps, perhaps you are, are feeling intimidated by uh, the pressure of the culture. So you kind of go incognito. Or perhaps you feel intimidated by the pressure at work or intimidated by the pressure of your family. Whatever it is, you're feeling the pressure and you privatize your faith. Now, people like this often make, say things like, like this. My faith is between me and God. Have you ever heard people say that? Well, the Bible doesn't know anything about that sort of privatized. It's just, just me and God relationship. To follow Jesus is to follow him faithfully in public. And that's where the conflict comes. Now, if any of us are in that boat of sort of incognito Christianity, I would encourage us to repent. I think we all feel the pressure sometimes. We have to be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. But we need to be public Christians. We need to not hide our light under a bushel. There's no such thing as an incognito Christian. A secret Christian. The last thing I want anyone to say about me after knowing them for months or years is, you're a Christian? I never would have guessed. That's not a compliment. I would encourage you to play that card up front right away. Let people know. Now, you might not receive a warm handshake and a slap on the back and a big warm hug. But you'll be clear about who is Lord when you are 
pressured to compromise that lordship. Now, perhaps that doesn't describe you. Perhaps you're seeking to live a faithful, godly life and follow Jesus, but you're still not experiencing any persecution. What then? Well, two things. Let me say this. The the storm of opposition may be gathering against you. Often, I think it takes time for others uh, to get to the point where they are openly hostile. It can sort of build. You see that in the Gospels. It builds. And I would just encourage you, let this message and next week's message help prepare you. Because Jesus says to us all that that day is coming. We don't know exactly what it'll look like. I'm sure we've all had people say some things because we're followers of Jesus. But it might might be elevated to more than verbal insults or slights. We don't know. Second thing I'd like to say is, not everyone is opposed to the message that we're communicating with our lips and our lives. Some people look and they're, they're conflicted. Some people look and they see Christ in us and they're, they're drawn. Sometimes they're very conflicted. They're, they kind of, it's this love-hate thing going on. Um, but some people will see Christ coming through our lives and be drawn to him. Maybe the Lord, we pray that he would, Use our witness of faithfulness to Christ to be a means of drawing people to the Savior. That's important. In that case, if that's happening, and we pray that it does, we've got to be people who are ready to communicate the hope of the gospel. It's not our lives that that bring anybody hope. It's only insofar as our lives are reflecting the hope of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, that we, we've got anything good to communicate. And so we have to be ready with the hope of the gospel. Listen to the words of 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, verses 13 to 16, he says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, we could say if you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. See, apart from the good news about Jesus Christ, we need to remember that we are slaves to sin and we are hostile toward God. Only the reconciling love of God freely poured out upon us in in the faithful life, atoning death and victorious resurrection of Christ. That alone is our hope. That alone is our salvation. That is the message. That is the reason why there's any change at all in our lives. Because we have come to submit ourselves to to King Jesus. If you and I have any righteousness, it's His work in us. It's His work through us. We have no righteousness of our own. Being honest about that, coming to the realization of that, is what brought us to the feet of Jesus. 
to receive the forgiveness, to receive the reconciliation, to receive the righteousness that is his as a gift. Nothing that we could earn. So we've looked at the reality of persecution. We've looked at the reason for persecution. Let's conclude with the reward of persecution. Look at verse 10 again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We'll spend some more time on this next week. But I just want to point out three things very quickly. First, persecution is a sign Persecution is a sign that we are citizens of Christ's kingdom. Jesus is not saying here that we will enter the kingdom if we are persecuted. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying here is that persecution is an indication. It's a sign that we have already entered the kingdom. It's a sign that we belong to King Jesus and we no longer belong to this world. We've been, as Paul says in Colossians 1.13, we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. That's our reality now. And it's transforming us from the inside out. Second thing, persecution refines and purifies our faith in Jesus Christ so that we will persevere to the end. That's that's one of the big reasons why Jesus isn't picking on us. Jesus is refining our faith. That's why persecution comes. That's why he's giving us a heads up about these things. He wants to do a deep work in our lives. And sometimes opposition and persecution is the only way that that deep work will take place. So he doesn't want us to be surprised or caught off guard. He's giving us a heads up, if you will. Why? Because he's refining our faith. He's purifying our commitment to him. Look at James 1, verses 2 to 4. Again, James is a very odd person. Listen to his language. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, the refining of your faith, produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, persecution in the hands of our good and loving Father, persecution is a means by which we learn to rely completely on Him. Thirdly, Persecution in this life is working for us an eternal weight of glory in the age to come. Look at Romans 8, verses 16 to 18. This is what Paul writes, and he was persecuted beyond measure. He says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Then verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, suffering and persecution 
Help us develop an eternal perspective about reality. They, they, they take our eyes off of the things that are seen and they help us to see the things that are unseen, the things that are eternal. They help us to discern the deeper purposes of God in our lives. They also create in us, I think, a longing. A longing for our glorious Savior to come. A longing for all things in heaven and on earth to be brought under, submissively brought under his good and righteous and glorious reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you strengthen our hearts through Jesus' plain teaching here. Would you strengthen our hearts that we would face opposition however it comes and we would stand fast that we would, our faith would be, our faith would be refined and that we would develop a an eternal perspective on our lives. Lord, grant us to be a people who do not lose heart, but a people who are learning more and more each day with all the ups and the downs that come our way to trust our risen and our reigning and our returning Savior. Would you do that work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.